Good morning, Boker Tov, and welcome back to our Parsha Perspectives for today. This week we have the privilege of learning Parsha's Ekev together. As always, we want to thank, with great gratitude, our dear friends, Becky and Avi Katz, and family who sponsored the Parsha series for the year in loving memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, David ben Menachem Manish. So Neshama should have an aliyah through all of our learning, through their generosity, through their leadership. Thank you so much. If you'd like to sponsor a future Parsha Shir, then please go to brsonline.org slash sponsor, brsonline.org slash sponsor, and you can easily choose your date, put in the language, pay all conveniently in one place, brsonline.org slash sponsor. Okay, Parshas Ekev begins in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash on page 980. Page 980 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash. We are continuing Moshe Rabbeinu's beautiful, passionate, inspiring monologue, his soliloquy, his message to the Jewish people on the final day of his life, the lessons he's learned in his life, and the charge that he has for them as they're about to go into the land of Israel and fulfill and realize his dream and his life mission that he's not able to do. And he says to them, And it will be, If you will listen to what? Listen to these mishpatim. Observe them, keep them, do them. Vishamar and protect them. Then Hashem will safeguard for you the promise, the covenant He made with you. That which He not only promised you, that which He promised your forefathers, that which He promised your ancestors. I got a wonderful new sefer, a collection of the teachings of the Kotzker Rebbe. And the great Kotzker says the following, of Menachem Mendel of Kotzk, says, Vaya Ekev Tishmu'un. He says, he wrote it in the Yiddish, I'll read it in the Hebrew. Hasof, hareiya shatiyu mukhrachem l'shmoa, mutav shatishmu kvar achshav. Vehaya, and it will be Ekev in the end of days, the end of time. The word Ekev is like Ikvus of the Meshicha. In the eschatological era, the end of times, in the end of days. Then what will be Tishmu'un? You will be forced to listen. You won't have a choice. When Hashem will reveal Himself to us, when there will be a clarity, when we will be undeniable, God's existence, our responsibility, our accountability to Him, Ekev, in the end of days, Tishmu'un, like it or not, we will be forced to listen. So therefore, we might as well listen right now. Vaya Ekev, since in the end we'll have to listen, Tishmu'un, so therefore, might as well, we might as well listen, and we might as well observe right now. That's his first interpretation of the Kotzker. Sort of a classic Kutzker biting, somewhat cynical Kutzker. Akev, in the end of days, it won't be a choice. It won't be elective. We won't be volunteering to listen. We will have no choice. We will be obligated. So since that's what will be at the end, we might as well listen right now. But then he has a second interpretation. A little bit more upbeat. A little bit more positive. It says the Kutzker, Vaya Akev Tishmun, Vaya Ulashan Simcha. Quoting from the Medrash Rabbah. That Vahaya, every time we see the word Vahaya in the Torah, it's a Lashon Simcha. It's a reflection of joy, of happiness. There's something positive. So where is the Simcha here? Ha-Simcha If you live a life of listening to Hashem, there will be great joy, says the Kotzker. So Vehaya. Why is the section introduced with the word Vaya? The Kotzker is dealing with a question. He doesn't articulate the question, but he's essentially answering a question that he doesn't even articulate, which is, why doesn't the Pasuk just begin Ekev Tishmu'un? If or when you will hearken, you will listen. Why do we need the word vehaya? So the first interpretation is vehaya, you're going to one day. The second interpretation is, it is a lashon simcha. There's something joyous, there's some happiness, there's some happiness in it. That's the Kotzker's interpretation. But there are others. The Orachayim HaKadosh, the Chaim Ben Atar, explains the word is not extra, it doesn't and couldn't begin Ekev when it's critically important. Ein v'haya ala simcha, what does that mean? Says the Orachayim, serenity, peace, peace of mind, joy, happiness, are the tachlis, says the Orachayim, they are the goal of a Torah way of life. Ekev means the goal. Ekev is the purpose. Ekev is the matara. The essence of a Torah way of life is v'haya, is simcha. Some of us, many of us, too many of us, are raised with an attitude, with an approach that Torah, a Jewish, a Torah, a halachic observant lifestyle requires us to give up our happiness, sacrifice, compromise, be of service. It doesn't matter. You don't get to eat what you want, go where you want, live the lifestyle you want. But you have to be of service and sacrifice. That's what religion means for Hashem. Says the Yorachayim, no. 
Ekev, you know what the essence, the goal, the tachlis of Tishmun, of listening to Hashem's Torah way of life is? Vehaya, simcha. Look around this world and see so many others who are struggling to navigate, to make sense, to get through this complicated, difficult world. And we have vehaya, lashon simcha. We have the opportunity, we have the privilege that the Torah is our tool, the Torah is our navigation, the Torah is our GPS. The Torah doesn't eliminate and doesn't remove challenges and hardships, but it gives us the ability, the roadmap to navigate. V'haya ekev, being besimcha, living with peace of mind, being calm, serene, joyous. Ekev is the goal of tishmu'un esamishpatim ma'ela. It is the tachlis. What a message. What a message for us and what a message for us to convey, how critically important for us to convey to our children, to our grandchildren, to the next generation. Because, so how does that work? What is the mechanism, the mechanics of this Orachayim insight? Tishmun, if I listen to Hashem, the Baha'i, I have joy and happiness. What do you mean? Turns out a lot of people are living observant ways of life and they're giving up happiness. Where are they going wrong? What does he really mean? So I suggest to you it means the following. And this is a theme really throughout our entire parsha. It is, I think, the central message that Moshe is conveying in the part of his speech, his monologue, that we read here in Parshas Ekev. When we think that we're in control, when we think that we're in charge, we have an endless pressure, an endless anxiety. We think it's all on us, it's on our shoulders, it's our responsibility. When we believe that even after we've tried our hardest and we do our best, that the outcome is just random, it's just chance, it's just happenstance, it's almost impossible to be happy. When you look at others and you see that they have and we feel we deserve more, we deserve what they have, and that we can never be happy with what I have, we'll never find serenity. When others disappoint you, or worse, they hurt you, and you think it's all on them, and they're the ones who've hurt us, and we don't deserve it, we get angry and resentful. We may even have a burning desire for revenge. So when we think we're isolated alone in this world, we think it's all on us, it's our responsibility. And when we think that when others do things, it's their free will which did it. And when we think that we're responsible for the outcome or that the outcome is not, if it's beyond our control, then it's just subject of chance. All of that leads to a life of tension, of anxiety, of unhappiness. But if tishmu'un, if we can successfully listen to the messages around us, if we see Hashem and the blessings in our lives, if we recognize the infinite, omnipotent, all-powerful source of all existence, that the Ribbonah Shalom, the master of the universe, is in fact intimately involved in our lives. Nothing is random and chance. Everything is carefully planned and executed from above. Then I can sit back. Then I can be calm and serene. Then I can find happiness and joy because I know someone much bigger, much smarter than I am pulling the strings. We'll see this in a moment with a mitzvah that's repeated twice in our parsha and several times in Sefer Dvarim, and that is the mitzvah of Dvekas, of clinging to Hashem, sticking to Hashem. That Judaism, Torah, Halacha, an observant way of life, emuna, bitachon, living with faith and clinging and cleaving to God, they're not about burdening us and they're not about restricting our lives and they're not about an act of service or of giving up or depriving us of pleasure like people mistakenly believe. But Torah is exactly the opposite. Vehaya, you want happiness? You're looking for joy, peace of mind? You want the tools to navigate this crazy, complicated world? Ekev tishmu, and then listen carefully. Pay attention, heed the message, the instruction manual, the blueprint of Hashem. Believe in Him, lean into Him, submit to Him, surrender to Him, and then follow in His ways. And it doesn't mean that we won't encounter illness. It doesn't mean that there won't be challenges, financial crisis and infertility and conflict, but it means we have the tool to be able to navigate. Rabbeinu Bachia, not in our parsha, but Rabbeinu Bachia, Rabbeinu Bachaya, back in Sefer Bamidbar and Perig Dalad, he writes, a person must always try to feel happy and joyous when doing mitzvos. After all, that's the point of doing mitzvos. A mitzvah is a tzivui, it's a tzav, it is the connection point, it is the invitation to be able to rendezvous with Hashem. That's what a mitzvah is. So when we do a mitzvah out of a sense of a burden, when we do a mitzvah like we'd really rather not, then we're missing that opportunity, that invitation to connect with Hashem. But when we embrace the mitzvah and lean into the mitzvah, and we accept and recognize that the mitzvah is our ability to connect to Hashem, then, then our relationship deepens, bringing deep satisfaction, profound joy. Writes Rabbeinu Bechayah, HaSimcha B'Maisa Mitzvos, Mitzvah Bifnei Atzmo. Being happy and joyous when doing a mitzvah is a mitzvah into itself. And I would say it's exactly like marriage. Spouse asks you to do something. 
And you do it begrudgingly. And you do it miserably. And you do it with a fabisan upon him, with a sad face. And you do it with snide comments and passive aggressiveness. Then why'd you bother doing it? The fact that they asked you to do something was not only because that thing needed to be done, but that which they asked you and that which you agreed was the opportunity to draw close, was the opportunity to invest and contribute and make a deposit in the relationship. But when you do it with negativity and sadness, then you miss that opportunity. Yeah, you've discharged the obligation. Yeah, you could put check next to, you got thing done. But it didn't yield the transformation in the relationship that it could have. So therefore, says Rabbeinu Bachaya, HaSimcha B'maysa mitzvos mitzvah b'fnei atzmo. Not only do we need to do the mitzvahs God has asked of us, which really are not for Him, they're for us to begin with, but not only should we do those mitzvahs, we should do them b'simcha. Because there's a corollary, there's a parallel mitzvah, and that is to do mitzvahs b'simcha, to do the mitzvah with a sense of joy. Some mistakenly think that to be religious or to pursue a life of righteousness, you have to look serious somber, sad, that the most righteous people walk around like this all day, and they walk around, I'm so serious, and mitzvot, and you're a shamayim, and I'm afraid of Hashem, and I'm so scared, I'm so afraid, and I tremble, and I titter. But that couldn't be farther from the truth. The Gemara in Shabbos, on Daflamad and Beis, tells us, Ein shechina shorash lo mitoch atzvos, velo mitoch atzlos, velo mitoch schok, el mitoch davar simcha shal mitzvah. That spirituality, that connecting with the divine doesn't happen with an attitude of sadness or gloom. That if we want to connect with our Creator, it happens with a sense of joy. And if I ask you, that makes total, total sense. Because we know when it comes to ourselves, we are drawn to be around people who are happy. We don't want to be around fabisan and miserable people. We don't want to be about negative, hypercritical people, complaining people. We want to be around the people who are positive, who lift us up, who are filled with joy and a positive energy. God also doesn't want our negative energy. He doesn't want our pessimism. He doesn't want our frown or fabis in a face. He is more predisposed to be with us, and therefore we are more likely to feel His presence when we are positive and optimistic and upbeat, and when we put a smile on our face, even when we don't feel like it. Ein shechina shora. God does not want to be around atzva sadness, or atzvah laziness, or schok, or frivolousness. Elamitoch simcha. He wants authentic and genuine joy for life. To focus not on what's missing, but what's there. To be happy for our lot and what we have. To be able to make the decision, because happiness is not an emotion. It is a decision. And so it's no wonder the Shulchan Aruch tells us, in Orachayim Simen Sadi Gimel Siv Beis, Lo yamod When you stand up to Davin, be serious, of course, be focused. Don't be frivolous. Udvarim betelem. Don't think about extraneous thoughts. kas, and not out of anger. What is the dominant feeling you should have when you stand up to Davin? Concludes the Shulchan Aruch. Ella mitoch simcha, happiness. Now you'd say happiness. You're about to have an audience with the King of Kings. You're about to have an audience with the most powerful God. Happiness should be serious, somber, focused. And the answer is, of course, we take it seriously. But you should walk in with a smile and with a joy. Stand up, take those three steps forward. So when you dive in your Amidah Yishmona Esrei, when you take your three steps back, leave behind any sadness. Leave behind any negative energy. When you take those three steps forward, before Hashem's Fasai, put a smile on your face. Because the King wants an audience with you when you walk in with a smile. Stand up to Davin from joy. It's a great image, but not only an image, an exercise. It's a great practice to have. Three steps forward, smile, Hashem Sfasai Tiftach. Hashem, move my lips, give me the words to be able to connect with you. The Rambam, in the last halach of Hilchas Lulav, the Rambam writes, the joy that a person should have when they do a mitzvah, to feel joyous is a huge avoda. We don't always feel it. It's a decision, not a feeling. And it's hard to make that decision, to take that leap, to transform our feeling by having made that decision. It's an avoda gedola, describes the Rambam. And whoever prevents or precludes themselves from feeling that joy, is deserving of a great punishment. Is deserving of a great punishment. So we have to choose happiness. Choose happiness. The Kuzari writes, 
We have three principles when it comes to serving Hashem. The Kuzari writes in Maimar Beis in 49 in Mem Tes. And what are those three character traits? What are those three qualities? What are those three conditions? What are those three attitudes in the service of Hashem? Yira, awe, ava, love, and simcha. The third pillar is simcha. Finding the ability to smile, to be positive, to focus on what's important, to trust in Hashem, to let go. Simcha is a fundamental part of what it means to be a Jew. To let go and let God, to feel simcha. And all this is in the opening word of our parsha. Vehaya, not extraneous, not ekev tishmun. It doesn't just begin in the negative ekev tishmun, but vehaya, simcha, simcha. We have to model this for our children. Being a yid is not geferlach. Being a yid is not shvertzezayin. It's not difficult. It's not sacrifice. Of course, we have to be willing to sacrifice. It's not only good times and happiness. There are sacrifices which we're asked to make. But ultimately, when we make them, we do it with joy. Simcha. We have to feel simcha. We're still in Chodesh Av. We're in the month of Av. And we've passed Tishabav. We've passed Tuba of the happiest day on the calendar. But the Mishnah tells us, When the month of Av enters, we are supposed to reduce or diminish our sense of joy. But the Lubavitcher Rebbe Zatzal read the Mishnah differently. And he said, When the month of Av enters, we diminish, we withdraw, we quiet. How? Even that is besimcha. It's not mematen besimcha. We're not diminishing the joy. We're mematen. And how are we mematen? The way we're mematen is besimcha. Simcha is a pilot light. Times we turn it up, chodesh adar. There are times we turn it down in the month of Av, but we never turn it off. Because ivdu es Hashem besimcha. Vahaya. You want a life of happiness, serenity, peace of mind? Then, ekev tishmunis hamishpatim ha'ilah, Embracing a Torah way of life, submitting, surrendering to a relationship with Hashem, living with Amunah, Bitachon, and Dvekus, that is the means, the mechanism, it is the way in which we can and will connect. We ask Hashem again, the Pasha is so rich, there's so much to unpack, we have so much, we'll see if we'll get to. So we're going to make our way through. If we do this, Hashem gives us a promise. He'll love you, he'll bless you, you'll multiply. Our children will multiply. Our material possessions will multiply. That we will be more blessed from all the other nations. There will be no infertility among us, among our animals. Hashem will remove illness, disease. I'll just share with you a couple questions we're not going to get to. But we know, we know that the Mishnah tells us, don't serve God on pras. The Mishnah in Perkei says, don't serve God on condition to be rewarded. We don't serve like, a, like an Evid, like a servant who does so for the reward. We do it altruistically. We do it nobly. We do it sincerely. So why is the Torah here telling us these rewards? Number two, we don't find that the people who are observant, in fact, don't struggle, don't suffer, don't confront these challenges. So the promise the Torah is making here doesn't seem... Uh, consistent, compatible with what we measure empirically when we look around this world. Number three, it says, Hashem, if we live the life that we're meant to, will remove from us all illness. Why remove from us the illness? That Pasuk implies and suggests that first the person's ill, they're struggling, but if you live a righteous life, Hashem is going to remove the illness. Why not not have the illness to begin with? Why not? Have the person be healthy and not have to struggle. We'll conquer our enemies and so on. But what's the alternative? If we're not righteous and religious, if we don't submit and surrender to him, if we don't recognize and we say, How am I going to drive out these enemies? How will I surpass them? How will I survive them? Don't fear them. You have to remember. Remember, why did God, here the Torah tells us, when God took us out of Egypt, He did with pomp and circumstance. God took us out in extraordinary ways. Why? Was He arrogant? Is it egotistical? Was He showing off? The answer is no. God did so, so in perpetuity, we could look back and point back and say, when we fear the modern current enemy, He took care of them, He'll take care of them now. That God, look what he did then, and he'll do it again now. That's why he did it that way, and that's what we are meant to remember. That is the assurance, that is the promise of Hashem. Don't bring a to'eva to your, to your home, which the Rambam, the Ramban agree, is uh, an idol. 
We cannot bring idolatry. Don't worship the mighty dollar. Don't worship celebrities and influencers. Don't worship other forms of power. All there is is Hashem. We're supposed to exclusively connect to Him. But it also means gaiva, to'eva. We know the Pasuk in Mishlei describes that gaiva, arrogance, is an abomination. So the Torah says, don't bring that abomination into your house. It means arrogance. Leave your ego at the door. Don't walk into your house and be a micromanager. Don't uh, power struggle. Don't dictate or be a dictator within your home. Don't bring that to'eva called arrogance. Don't bring that to'eva, that abominable thing called ego, into your home. Now the next parak, paraches deals with the lessons of food, the attitude to food. We could speak about this for hours at length. Food for us is not a concession. Food is not secular, profane, or mundane. Food is an invitation and a platform towards religiosity and righteousness. Food is a way in which we come close to Hashem. When we engage it in the proper context and attitude, it becomes a means through to connect, to grow. When we don't and we eat it in an animal way, we become base and we lower ourselves. So the Torah tells us in this context, in this context that Hashem tested us. When we were in the desert, when we were following God, He tested us. He wanted to know if we were loyal to Him. And what was the means? What was the test? He gave us the man. God tested us. He afflicted us. He made us suffer, struggle. He afflicted us and He let us go hungry. And then He gave us the man. And He taught us that we don't live off of bread alone. We live off of that which comes from Hashem. And the question, of course, is the test? The man was a test? God... Test me in that way. I welcome such a test. Give me endless parnasa. Give me income without effort. The mon fell. It descended from heaven. It tasted like whatever one wanted. It predictably fell every single day. What kind of a test is that? So I refer you to the last parshashir. I think we didn't give last year, but two years ago. We spent a long time looking at different mafarshim. What kind of a test was the mon? And what can we learn from that today about our parnasa, about our income, and about our relationship with Hashem? I'm not going to review all the interpretations and insights we saw two years ago about what was the test of the man, but I take you to the end of the Pasuk. The end of the Pasuk is, Ki A person cannot survive on bread alone. Rather, what do we live off of? And here there's an insight, a beautiful insight of the Heilig Imrechaim, the great uh, and the vision of Tzarebbe says, he refers us to the Shlach Kodesh, the name of the Ari, but then he says, The Pasuk is describing our Shabbos table. We come to the Shabbos table, I once got in trouble for writing an article about this, I'm not criticizing the people who enjoy and want to invest themselves in elaborate complicated, expensive Shabbos menus, three-color, five-color, 20-color gefilte fish, three fishes, four meats, 17 side dishes, 19 courses to serve on a charger with a plate with the matching thing, with the matching the other, with bottles of wine that more expensive than the other. If it's all done, the covered Shabbos, if a person enjoys it, puts their heart into it, can afford it, and it's done, the covered Shabbos, then tabu aleichem bracha, enjoy, beautiful, delicious, I love as much as the next person. But we have to remember, says the Imrechaim, the vision of Tzarebbe, that when we come to the Shabbos table, what matters most, not the food, it's not the delicacies. We're eating that food, L'Kavit Shabbos Kodesh. We have that Shabbos table to be with the people who are around it. The conversation and the Zmiros and the relationship matter much more. Ma'angem es HaShabbos Kodesh b'Simcha b'Zmiros, Sishiros v'Teshbachos, Shemahalun HaShem Yizbarach ba'ashulchan ashilofnei HaShem. You want to achieve life. You want your children to embrace Shabbos. You want your children to want to recreate and emulate the Shabbos experience. Then don't only pressure them to spend and to work hard to recreate your menu. Let them remember the zmiros, the singing, the happiness, the joy. Let them remember the Divrei Torah. Let them remember the stories. Let them remember the guests. Let them remember the conversations. 
says the Heilige Vishnitz Rebbe, the food is wonderful, the delicacies are wonderful, the accoutrements are wonderful, the utensils are wonderful, but ultimately, your spiritual life and your spiritual continuity does not depend on the menu alone, it's alkol motza pi, it's what you speak about Hashem. If you're sitting and you have the most expensive delicacies, you have 14 of the most expensive herrings, you have an amazing, what's it called? All of the uh, jerkies and the beef. Oh, I'm blanking out on the name. Now many communities are a competition on the wooden board that you're serving all of the, I'm blanking out on the name, all of the dry meats and the cut-up salamis and the uh, expensive our spiritual existence, our spiritual health, our spiritual life, and our spiritual continuity are not about the charcuterie. They're not about the herring. They're not about the martini, the whiskey, or the tequila bar. But it's akol motza pi Hashem. It's what we speak about. Do we invoke Hashem at that Shabbos table? While we're enjoying those delicacies, which I'm not criticizing, charcuterie, thank you. It's about, it's about kol motza pi it's about what leaves our mouth, Hashem. Is Hashem part of the conversation? Are we talking about Him? Are we engaging Him? Are we relaying His messages? Says the vision of Tzarebbe, Lo Not about the menu, not about the charcuterie. It's al-kol pi. It's how much we, from our mouth, speak about Hashem Adam. That is That is the determinant of our life. Okay, with that we go over to our first Eish Tamid of the day. Our first, we don't have a lot today of Rav Druk in his Eish Tamid. And he says the following, what does it mean, that God caused us to suffer, to struggle, and then he fed us the man, and he fed us, he supplied us the man as a test. Why? Because we can't live alone. And Rav Druk points out, he points out that, twice in our Pasuk, we have the word Yechyeh. We can't live alone off of bread. Rather, Hashem, it's Hashem's word, Yechyeh, that's what we'll live off of. Why do we have that word twice in the Pasuk? But moreover, asks Rav Druk, if you look at the Targum Onkelos, if you look at the Arama- Aramaic translation, the second century convert Onkelos, he translates the word Yechyeh differently in the same Pasuk. In the very same Pasuk, the word appears twice, and in each time, Unklus translates it differently. The first time he writes, Yechye miskayim ansha. The second time, Chaye anasha. So why does he change his translation? What does that reflect about the interpretation of the Pasuk? So says, says Rav Druk, the way to understand this insight, the interpretation of Targum Unklus, Tchilas HaPasuk Medaber Al HaLechem. The first time we're talking about bread. We don't live to eat. We eat to live. Bread is not life. Bread is not life. We can't live without bread. We can't live without eating. We can't live without nourishment. A good friend of mine in the community's father tragically is uh, an end of life, has end of life shilas and is making the enormous decision. Does one provide nutrition, put in a feeding tube, a JPEG? Well, what needs to be done? Because if we don't provide nourishment and nutrition, then a person won't die from illness, they'll die from malnourishment, they'll die from starvation. Halachically complicated end-of-life issues, even if one doesn't have to provide what we call heroic measures, do we still have to provide oxygen and nourishment? Because because you can't live without food. You can't live without nourishment, without nutrients. So the first time that the Targum translates the word Yichya, he translates it as Miskayim. Bread keeps us alive. Miskayim Anasha. Bread keeps us alive. However, the Pasa continues, It's not bread alone which keeps us alive. It's also on Hashem's word. We need a healthy physical diet and we need a healthy spiritual diet. We go for a physical, we need to go for a spiritual. We nourish our body, we need to nourish our soul. So that is an altogether different type of nourishment. 
That is a different type of life source. Says Rav Druk, the spiritual nourishment, unlike bread, where bread is not an ends and bread is not life, bread is just something that sustains life. But when it comes to Piyashem, Komotza Piyashem, when it comes to Torah, when it comes to spirituality, that is life. And therefore, Unklus translates it as Chaye Anasha. So Unklus changes his translation in the two times that the word Yechi is used in the Pasuk. Why? Because they're two different meanings. The first time we're talking about bread. And bread is Miskayim Ansha. Bread keeps us alive. It sustains life. But, when it comes to when it comes to Torah, spirituality, it's not just that it is a means, it is the end, it is life itself. Torah is our life. Torah is life. Bread is an intermediary. It is a means, whereas Torah is an ends. There's a fundamental difference. And with this, Rav Druk concludes his comment by quoting a story from the Gon Rav Baruch Be'er Zatzal. Rav Baruch Be'er, once a Jew came to Rav Baruch Be'er and said, Torah is like the air that we breathe. Just like if we don't breathe, we can't live. So too, without Torah, we cannot leave, live. And Rav Baruch Be'er corrected him. And he said, no, air you need. Ha'avir nitzrach la'adam b'shvil she'yuchalachyos. We need oxygen to live. Torah is not just like oxygen that we needed to live. Torah is not something we need to live. Torah is life itself. A fundamental different attitude, a different perspective, a different outlook on it. Okay, so while we're in this section, Perches, we're talking about the role of food, of bread in our lives. It is a means, a mechanism, a platform to come close, to grow to Hashem. Lechem milashan nochama. It is with bread that we battle, that we fight the temptation for food. There's a whole world, there's a whole avoda, an attitude towards eating, an opportunity to draw close to Hashem through it. That every time, Tarach al-Hashulcha neged sorai, we sing in Mizmor Ladovin. In Perak Mizmor Chav Gimel, Kapitel 23 of Te'elam, that Hashem, Tarachal Lafanai Shulchan, you spread out before me a table, Neged Sorai, across from my adversaries. Who are my adversaries? Am I inviting my enemies to break bread with me? No. You know who my adversaries are? My adversaries are the 17th piece of challah. My adversary is the fattening dip. My adversary is the Trader Joe corn chip. My adversary is to continue to eat even when I'm full. Neged Sorai. The Shulchan is the place that I wage that war. Lechem and Milchama. It is the place where I fight that battle towards spirituality. And here, to not forget where it comes from and to express our gratitude, that's what the parsha continues. That we have to remember. The Torah tells us, we're in chapter 8, verse 7. That God, you bring us to the good land. You bring us to a land with streams of water, of springs, underground water, valley and mountain. A land of wheat and barley and grape and fig and pomegranate, of oil, date, olive oil and date honey. A land where you will eat bread without poverty. You lack nothing there. A land whose stones are iron, from whose mountain you mine copper. To eat and be satisfied, be sated, and bless Hashem. And bless and thank Hashem for the good land that He gave us. This, of course, is the mitzvah of benching, the source of the mitzvah of benching. We eat. We say thank you, and we bench. The Imrechaim, the vision of says, Visavata is in the middle. Is Visavata describing we're satisfied? Is that subscribing Viachalta? Are we satisfied from the eating? Or Uvirachta? Is our satisfaction from blessing, thanking, communicating with Hashem? Says the Imrechaim, Are we excited? Are we satisfied? Is our belly full because we ate food? Or because now we have the opportunity to thank Hashem. Visavata is not going on viachalta, says the Imrechaim, the Vishnitzer. Visavata is going on uve rachta. Be satisfied and feel full from the fact that you bless Hashem. 
the great Mr. Senders of our community. So sein gesund and stark. We miss him in shul. He should continue to be well. Always says to me, some people, some people bench because they ate. He says, I eat so I could bench. Why wouldn't? There are people who avoid eating bread at all costs, not because they're worried about carbs, but because they're worried about having a bench. They don't want a bench, so they don't eat bread. He says the opposite. He only nibbles on a piece of bread. Really, he's not interested in the bread. He eats the bread so he could bench. Visavata, what makes us feel full? The achalta, the bread, or uveirachta? Are we gratified, satisfied? Do we walk away from that meal feeling good about the fact that we just had the opportunity to connect to Hashem. And Rav Druk has a similar insight. He says, He said, It occurs to me to ask about the order of the Psukim. We just praise the land. Israel is characterized by the seven species. So we should have immediately after praising the land of Israel and characterizing it, by these seven species, continued, and when you eat of them, you'll be full and you'll bless. Why do we interrupt and interject Pasuk Tess in between by describing it's a land whose stones are iron, it's a land we describe whose mountains will mine copper. Eating and being satisfied has to do with the food that we just praised in the land. What does it have to do with the qualities of the stone and of the metal. We can answer by asking a question on benching itself. The middle, the second bracha of benching is Bircha Sa'aretz. And in that second bracha, we say the following. We say, We acknowledge you, God, for the bris, for the covenant, for the promise that you have engraved on our skin, on our flesh. On the Torah that you've taught us, on the laws that you've taught us, you've made us aware of, where modim, we express our appreciation in benching. Not just thank you for this calzone, for this pizza, not just thank you for this sandwich, for this hot dog, but in benching our gratitude is not just for the physical, in benching our gratitude is for the spiritual. Thank you Hashem for Torah, thank you Hashem for bris. By the way, so much that the Gemara Brachos, Tosavos deal with, women are exempt from Torah learning, women are exempt from bris. Are women obligated in benching? Do they, do they include these themes, omit these themes? A whole discussion. But the question is, The second bracha of benching of Allah Kol is the beauty of the land of Israel. Why are we interrupting, interjecting our expression of gratitude, of praise, of admiration for the beauty of the land of Israel? Why are we all of a sudden bringing up and also thank you as well for learning Torah and for bris? So, when we're invoking, when we're remembering gratitude and praise to Hashem that He took us out of Egypt, that He brought us into Israel, we also remember. We do not just focus and emphasize the physical, that we got the land, but on the spiritual as well. Whenever we say thank you for physical, we have to remember to also say thank you for the spiritual. So in that second bracha lakol, it's not just thank you for this magnificent land, for the beautiful land, what fantastic minerals, what fantastic stone, what fantastic metal, what fantastic species, Oh, but while I'm praising the physical, I cannot imply or suggest that that's all I care about, that that's good enough. But I recognize and I'm grateful for the spiritual as well. And that's what the Chassam Sofer, the end of Parshas Hazinu says, If we're going to thank God for the physical world and for the physical sustenance, then we have to mention why we need it and why we're grateful for it. I'm grateful to be alive. Why? Because of the bris and so I can learn Torah. I'm grateful for food that sustains me, that animates me. Why? So I can learn Torah and pursue and fulfill the bris. So that's why here too. We are expanding our gratitude, not just for the species, but for the stone, for the metal, for the minerals. So the Pasuk is inserted because the Achalta Visavata is going not just on the food, is going on the whole land. 
when we bench, we don't just say thank you for the food that's right in front of me. Thank you for the ambiance. Thank you for my experience. Thank you for the context. Thank you for everything. And then Rav Druk asks what I think is a great question. I don't know if it's ever occurred to you, but this is a fantastic question. In benching, we say, Alakol, Hashem, on everything, I'm so grateful to you. Anachnu modim lach, thank you. Thank you that I don't have to work the field backbreaking labor. Thank you that I don't have to sit in the sun. Thank you that I don't have to plow and plant and harvest and grind and winnow. Thank you I can go to the supermarket and the kosher market and I can go and buy and eat and enjoy alakol on all of this. That somebody else did that work. Someone else manufactured. Somebody else packaged. Someone else distributed. And somebody else made it easy for me. Thank you for the parnasa, the income that enabled me to be able to eat. Alakol on all of that and so much more. Modim anach, modim lach. I'm so grateful. And why am I saying thank you? Kakasuv, as the Pasuk says, I'm saying thank you because the Pasuk says that when we eat and when we're grateful and when we're full, we have to say thank you. And wonders of Druk, can you imagine? You go to your friend and you say, I want to thank you. Thank you so much for the favor. Thank you so much for the gift. And I'm thanking you because my father told me that I have to come and say thank you. I'm thanking you because my father taught me, my mother always says, you have to say thank you. That's not an expression of gratitude. You're an ingrate. You're saying the only reason I'm saying thank you is not because I feel thank you, but because it says I have to say thank you. It's a rule. It's a law. It's a dictate. That's the rule in my home for my parents. That's the rule in my Torah from Hashem. I'm only saying thank you because I have to say thank you. Doesn't that take away from it being genuine, authentic? So why do we invoke it? In other words, the Torah says, When you eat and you're satisfied, bench. Great! Institute benching. Why do we invoke the Torah's obligation within the actual fulfillment, making it sound like we're doing it not because it's right or because we feel it, we're doing it because it says it. So says Rav Druk the following. The answer is, Who are we to be grateful to God? He's omnipotent, he's infinite, he's perfect, we're finite, we're fallible, we're pathetic. Who are we to say thank you? It takes the humility, should be shamed, cover our face, because we can't possibly, adequately express gratitude. We can't possibly appreciate, understand everything that goes into it. And therefore, who are we to say thank you? The answer is, our only license, our only justification to say thank you is because you invited us to do so. It's because you allow us to do so. It's not from ourselves. It's that you gave us license. You empower, you enable, you invited us to do so. And that's why we are able to we are able to do so. Okay, moving right along. The danger. We're on page 984 now. Perak Ches Pasuk Yudzayin. Still in this context. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? The Dashem Amachil Chaman Bamidbar Shalidocha Vasecha. God who fed you food. Laman Anoscha. Again, invoking this image. He did it to test us. Laman Nasosecha. Viamarta Bilvavecha. What's the test? Because we're going to say in our hearts. My full bank account, my flourishing portfolio, it's me. God, God didn't choose those stocks. God didn't put in those hours in the office. God didn't close that deal. God didn't shop and make that recipe and have this delicious meal turn out. It's all me. It's all me. We're going to say, my power, my strength, my skills, my effort, my toil. It's what brought about this result. That's the temptation. That's the, the, the uh, desire. Says the Koshnitz, he says when a person is poor and they're down and out, then they never ever ascribe the Kalkala Batsmo. person says, When a person is down and out, they say, God, why are you doing this to me? God, where are you? God, what happened? God, turn it around. And then, when they succeed, they say, no, that wasn't God, that was all me. He says it should really be exactly the opposite. 
when a person succeeds and triumphs, when a person, when a person rises to greatness, then they should say, it wasn't me, it's all Hashem. And when a person's down and out, they should recognize they could yet still try harder. Says the Koshnetzer, we have it backwards. That's the fear, that's the danger. The Kochi V'otzem Yodi. That is the concern of where we're going to go wrong. I've said before, and I'm invoking it again because I think it's so important and so critical to mention. And I believe the insight of, of the Ran. The Ran Rabbeinu Nisim, in the beginning of his 10th Drush, in Drushas Aran, he asks a question. He says, what do you mean we can't take responsibility? The Torah is filled with reminders that we have Bechir Chavshis. We're going to read soon. Behold, I'm putting before you today blessings and curse, free will, choice, autonomy. So how come later we can't say with pride, don't we have a right to be proud? I put in those long hours. I worked hard and I studied. I had that great idea. I was creative. I had vision. I had drive. I had ambition. Why can't we take pride? Why can't we feel at least partially responsible for our success? How do we reconcile the Torah's endorsement and the personal responsibility of free will with the Torah here saying, never say kochi va'otzam yadi? It's a famous question, but the inside of the Ran is life-changing. So though I've shared it before, I share it again with you today. And the Ran writes the following. I'll read it to you in the translation because of the sake of time. He says, the meaning is as follows. The truth is that people have different talents in different areas. Certain people are predisposed to receive wisdom. Others are predisposed to devise strategies to gather and amass wealth. On account of this, the wealthy man can truthfully say, my ability and the might of my hand made me wealth. Nevertheless, insofar as that ability was implanted within you, be sure to remember who gives you the ability to make that wealth. And here, listen to the Ran. The Ran points out, then Moshe did not say, ki Moshe did not say, remember that Hashem is the one who gives you wealth, for if he had said that, he'd be minimizing the fact that the ability implanted within the person is an intermediate cause in the accumulation of the wealth. But that's not the case. What did Moshe say? Not, ki no chayel, but, ki no koach, it doesn't say Hashem gave us the wealth. It says Hashem gave us the strength, the talent, the wisdom, the ingenuity, the entrepreneurship, the creativity to amass the wealth. Says the Ran, the Torah is not asking us to deny or to not be proud of our accomplishment or achievement. It's asking us to recognize and to realize that whatever strength and whatever skill we had to, to achieve it was from Hashem. It was on loan, never part of our permanent collection. We have to recognize that, yes, we can take with pride responsibility for success, but where did we get the talents, the skills, the strength to be able to do it? It comes from Hashem. It comes from Hashem. Rav Moshe of Kutsi, or the Sefer called the Sefer Mitzvahs Gedolas, the Smag for short, and he identifies, he enumerates all of Tariya Mitzvahs, he counts the Minyan Mitzvahs, all 613. And towards the end of the introduction to the Sefer, he writes something remarkable. He finished his Sefer Amitzvah Gedolus, his smag, his magnum opus, and then he writes that he was told, you've forgotten a dream. You have forgotten the foundational mitzvah not to forget Hashem and become hori. So when he woke up, he revised his whole Sefer Amitzvah, his whole calculation of Tarek of 613 mitzvahs, and he included a prohibition of gaiva. Mitzvah lo sasei samach dalid, negative precept 64, Never become arrogant. Don't bring arrogance into your home. Yes, maybe you're smart, artistic, athletic, entrepreneurial, successful, but where did you get that from? It is on loan, not part of your permanent collection. It is not part of who you always are. I'll tell you, I'll give you a little sneak preview that uh, Behind the Beam is coming back August 11th. We'll have four episodes before Sukkot. Very excited. We have extraordinary guests. One of them, one of them, who is uh, amazing, is uh, one of my, uh, I've always uh, been a fan of his, the greatest closer in all of history of baseball, the first unanimous uh, entry to the Hall of Fame, 13-time 13, 13 All-Star, 5-time uh, World Series champion, Mariano Rivera. So one of our, is our, maybe our first, one of our first guests on Behind the Bima when we come back. So Mariano Rivera retired. L- listen to his achievements. 
13-time All-Star, five-time World Series champion, first ever inducted to the Hall of Fame, unanimous ballot. He is at the peak, the top of Major League Baseball. And when he retired, he was asked about his ability to throw the one pitch he threw that every batter knew was coming, which was the slider. And he said the following, quote, Everything I have and everything I became is because of the strength of the Lord, and through Him I have accomplished everything, not because of my strength, only by His love, His mercy, and His strength. A person should never say, We say the opposite. We say the opposite. That God is the one who gives us the strength for whatever we accomplished in life. You're going to want to watch that interview because he's a person of deep and profound faith who credits all of his success to God. Really, really inspiring. What we're meant to remember, not to deny that we have gifts, talents, and strengths, not to not take pride in what we've accomplished and achieved with them, but remember that they come from Hashem. He is the one who gives us that, that koach. Rav Dessler says, I just got this new set of svarim, the Sitcha Elyon, which is a collection of Bali Musar on the Parsha. Very interesting. Unklus on these words. That God is the one who gives us the talent and the skills and the strength to achieve. Writes Unklus. Unklus getting a lot of play today in the Parsha class. Writes Unklus. He is the one who put the idea in your mind how to acquire property. Who told you to buy airlines when the market dipped at the beginning of Corona? Who told you to invest in Bitcoin or to sell it short when it was plummeting? Who told you Tesla was a good buy? Who put that idea in your head? Says Unklos, who do yoiv lecha eitza? Ko Yehudi Mamin, says Rav Dessler, every Jew believes. We know that if we do well, it is only with the siyat of the shmaya, it's only with the divine Insight, inspiration from Hashem. But however, we sometimes think, I'm the Baal Kishran, Baal Mauv, Socher, Mamulach, Baal Machshava I'm the entrepreneur. I'm the smart one. Even though we daven in shul, we daven dab, we say, and we wear the red bendel, and we make the shlissel chala, and we say, Hashem, Parnasa, Hashem, Parnasa, Hashem, Parnasa. I heard you did well in the market. Yeah, I'm pretty smart. I'm successful. I had the idea. It was my thought. No matter what we say we believe, in reality and actuality, all too often we say, yeah, I need God's help, but it was my idea. It was my thought. It was my chap. So a person should realize, a person should realize, says Rav Dessler, who gave you the thought? Who gave you the idea? Who gave you the creativity? What we often say, Anash Megillam Lomar, We'll often say, you know, this thought struck me. This thought struck me. I was in the shower, I was diving, I was going for a walk, I was driving my car, and it struck me. This thought struck me. What does that mean, this thought? Who struck you with a thought? What, did it fall from the sky? You banged your head on a tree? What do you mean the thought struck you? God is the one who knocked you on the head with that thought. What the thought came coincidentally, randomly, out of nowhere. He is the one who provided the thought. That's where it came from. Perak Yud. We're skipping all the Perak tests. Remembering our time, our time through the wilderness, through the Midbar, the challenges, the trials, the tribulations, how we surpassed them. Perak Yud. Moshe recalls and recounts, in that time God told me, take two stones, Aaron died. Perak Yud Pasuk Yud Beis. The Atta Yisrael and now Jewish people. Mashal Lokecha Shomei Mach. What does God want from you? Kim Liyiras Hashem Lokecha Lachas Bechol Durchav Liavoso. All God wants is to have all of Him, fear of Him, walk in His way, love Him, serve Him with all of your heart, with all your soul. We have discussed this at length in previous parsha Shiurim as well. I refer you back to them. You can find them online and listen to them. We've discussed what does it mean. Moshe seems to minimize the Atta. What does he want? All he wants is the hardest things in the world to do. You're going to call that all he wants? What does he want after all? All he wants is what is the hardest thing in the world to do. We discussed and unpacked that previously. So what does it mean here, all he wants? What does it mean here, all he wants? So viato, he's spoken about the Chavetz Chaim, viato. 
V'yatam means now. What does God want from you? He wants you to live in this dimension. What does God want from you? He wants you to live in the here and now. Don't be stuck in the past. And don't be dreaming about the future. Live in the here and in the now. But Rav Volba has another interpretation here. And Rav Volba reminds us. Yisrael. And now, what does he want? The Gemara Menachos on Daf Mem Gimel learns something special from here. The Gemara reads, don't read it ma, what does God want? Read it mea, mea, not ma, mea. He wants a hundred brachas a day. Mea brachas b'chol yom. Discussed this also in the past. He wants us to recite a hundred brachas a day. We have to walk around with a calculator, a calculation. How do you get to a hundred brachas a day? Three Shemona Esrays are a great start. You got a few Asher Yatsars, some Birchas Anenin, throw on Benchen, you're at your 100 times a day. A 100 times a day, God wants us to make a bid for connection. A 100 times a day, He wants us to remember He is there. Ravolba writes in Alei Shor, Perakuf Yud Beis, Ravolba writes, Avoda Gedolach Yivenu Chazal, Levarach Mea Brachos Bechol Yom, our rabbis deduced from our Pasuk an enormous obligation responsibility to recite 100 Brachas a day. Lachzor Mea Pam Bechol Yom, Ala Emes. A hundred times a day to become grounded. A hundred times a day to recalibrate. A hundred times a day to remember the truth. That God, our God, is the King of the universe. He gave us every pleasure. Our body, our soul. The core of the reason that a hundred times a day we have to recenter, remember, is because Hakar Satov. You ever on ways? And you want to see how far away you are, so you scroll on the screen. You want to see where there's a gas station, a Dunkin' Donuts, a 7-Eleven. You scroll on the screen, and there's a little button you could press to get back to where you are, to get back to seeing where you're meant to be going. What does it say? Recenter. You press recenter, and it brings you back on the screen to where you actually are and the trajectory and path of where you're meant to be going if you're going to get to that destination. Says Revolba, Mea brachas b'choyom is that recenter button. On life, we have a journey, there's a destination, there's a trajectory, but we can lose sight of where we are. We can get distracted and veer from the path, and we have to press that recenter to recalibrate, to recenter, to remind ourselves where we are and how we're going to go where we're going, where we're meant to go. And why do we recalibrate? What is that button of recenter? Mea brachos b'chol yom. Says Revolba, a hundred brachas a day. Gratitude. Gratitude is the same between people and with God. And that's Birchas Hananen. He quotes a passage from Chizkiyahu. This was Chizkiyahu got sick and he recovered from his illness. And he said, Ani Amarti, Yeshaya Paraklam Erches Pasek Tes, Isaiah Hanavi, Ani Amarti, Bidam Yemel. He said, I don't see God in the land of truth. In Pan Yeshayahu, Chizkyahu, Hamelach, the king Chizkyahu miraculously recovered from a life-threatening illness. He wrote in a letter and he said, With my days cut short, I will go to the gates of the grave, deprived of the rest of my years. I had said, I will not see Hashem. So the Radak quotes from Rav Sadigon who says, What does it mean, I will not see Hashem? Says the Radak Pirish of Sadigon in Yodah, Venachonu, Kiraosa Kel Yodah, Vashevach Lafanov. You know what it means to see God? Is to be grateful. If you're ungrateful, you don't really see God. And if you see God, you are filled with gratitude. How can you see Hashem writes Ravolba? Through recognizing his kindness and thanking him for it. Review your day, review your meal, review your life over and over and say thank you. What does he want from us? He wants us a hundred times a day to say thank you. You know, why do I have to say thank you for the same food? It's the same food. I said thank you for coffee yesterday. I have to say thank you for coffee again today. And the answer is yes. Because we don't thank Hashem just once for giving us food or water or clothing, for giving us our spouse, our children, our life, our job, for giving us our house. Every day calls for an additional gratitude. Every day is a new us. Every day is a new world. Every day is a new context, a new background. Every day is a new opportunity to say thank you. That's what he wants from us. So I say thank you. Thank you for joining for our shir. Thank you to the Katzes for sponsoring. Thank you to whoever wants to sponsor future shirim. If you listen, you're not a member of BRS. You appreciate your joining 
then please, brsonline.org slash sponsor. Sponsor a few episodes. It's a personal, perfect opportunity in honor and memory of someone else. Much more I wanted to get to about the mitzvah of Dveikus and about uh, teaching our children. Second, a paragraph of Shema. We'll have to save it for a future year. Uh, join us tomorrow morning, 8.15, 10 minutes of meeting with Sosa Sharm. 8.45, living with Emuna. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, stay holy.